0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. If we haven't met before, my name is Justin Domino, one of the preaching pastors here at New Hope. So glad to be here preaching today. Um, I was on PTO over the past week, which was amazing right? If it's one of those weeks where you could just turn off your email, turn off your phone, kind of ride off into the sunset, <laughs> which is really nice to do sometimes. But my daughter, she's three years old. Um, every once in a while, she loves to just wake up at 3.30 in the morning and just be up, which is really frustrating sometimes. So I'm up with my daughter. It's like 4.30 in the morning. And I'm like, you know what? Just in case anything's on fire at work, I should check my email. I checked my email and I have an email from Pastor Bill. And it's the sermon notes for this Sunday. He says, here's where I'm going. Here's the notes for you. I'm like, I'm preaching Sunday. Crap. (laughs) I had totally forgotten. It was on my calendar, hadn't looked. I was like totally ready to just check out for the week. So long story short, I had to work on a sermon through my time off this past week. And I kind of found out a little bit too late in the week. Like I I usually start, you know, right away Monday morning. So I, I got a little bit of a late start. But I bring that up because as we talk about evangelism and sharing our stories, it's something that we actually need. We need the power of God to actually do this. My sermons aren't going to change your life. What's going to change your life is the power of the Holy Spirit. I can prepare for three weeks for one message, and some people might be like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I could prepare since Tuesday morning at 430 in the morning, and maybe it would change your life. Regardless, the power of, of our sermons is not on the, the pastor preaching. The power of our sermons and the power of our worship is based on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that we need this when it comes to evangelism, sharing our faith. Because here's the reality. I was joking with Pastor Bill this morning about evangelism. Doing a series on sharing your faith is a lot like doing a series on fasting. You know like 10 people in the church are going to do it, and they're going to be passionate about it. They're going to share their faith. They're going to fast. They're going to do everything. But you know the rest of us are like, you know, it's a really great thought, (laughs) but I'm an introvert. Um, I've never done it before. I don't know what to say. So here's the reality of what we need. If we're going to actually do this and share our stories of what God has done in our lives, we need to have some sort of spiritual barrier broken in our hearts that starts to see people as people need Jesus. And my story of how I came to Jesus is crucial and important in other people coming to know Jesus. Jesus. Because when I think of evangelism, sometimes I think of like, there's a preacher on the street corner with a bullhorn and a bell and he's yelling, repent, the end is near, repent. And it's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> right? That's a crazy way to do evangelism. Maybe there's a time and a place for that. But I'm like, I think a better way to do this is to share our stories, to be relational. And as we're going to see in the story of Jesus today, to be hospitable and to be loving. To build relational equity with people is the key to evangelism. So if you have your Bible, go to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. We're going to go to the story of Zacchaeus, and a lot of us know the story of Zacchaeus, but I'm going to read through it because there's something in this story that is crucially powerful when it comes to evangelism, sharing our faith, and practicing our story, which is our theme for today. So Luke chapter 19. 1-10. 1-10. through 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's some out in the lobby, and you can take those home for free. That's our gift to you. Bibles can be very expensive, so that's our gift to you, but Luke chapter 19, 1-10 says this. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I can relate to that big time. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and then began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Ugh. That Jesus, so scandalous. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, who is Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Now, if you know the story of Zacchaeus, you know that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, as it says in this story. What that means, if you know your biblical history, is Zacchaeus is not just somebody who collects taxes. Zacchaeus is a thief. A common practice among tax collectors in Jesus's day was they would skim off the top of everybody's taxes. So if you came into Rome to pay your taxes or to Jerusalem to pay your taxes and you owed $800 in taxes, men like Zacchaeus would be like, you know, actually you owe a thousand dollars. And then they would pocket that $200 difference and they would get super wealthy by skimming off the top of everybody's taxes. It goes without saying that men like Zacchaeus were hated and despised in the culture that Jesus lived in. This is why when it says the people began to mutter, like, oh, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Why would Jesus eat with this guy? Why would he stay in this guy's house? This is why. He is, for lack of a better term, sort of the scum of the culture. Everybody hates him. Now, think of it in our terms we don't like the IRS today, right? None of us love to pay taxes. It's not like, oh, sweet. You know, a $4,000 tax bill is just what I wanted for today. We don't love to pay taxes, but it's sort of a reality. But now imagine that the IRS is actually stealing from you, taking an extra from you that they're not supposed to actually take. This was Zacchaeus' lifestyle. So when Jesus meets with Zacchaeus, goes into his house, and he says, today salvation has come to this house, what is Zacchaeus' response? What is his transformation? He says, look, Lord, here and now, I will sell half my possessions, give the money to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, which he definitely has, but if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That is a bold move, right? You can see his net worth dropping immediately from that. But what is it in the story that is so powerful? You know, oftentimes in church, we talk about what Jesus can do for us. And I think we, we make Jesus out to be sort of this product. Like, you know what? My life is pretty good, but I have this one area of my life that could just be a little bit better. And maybe if I follow Jesus, Jesus can just make my life like 10% better. But being a Christian is not just about adding a little bit of Jesus to your life to, to help you a little bit. Being a Christian is all about being totally and completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's who you are without Jesus is completely different than who you are with Jesus. When we talk about transformation, we're talking about sinners to people who are sanctified and righteous because of what Jesus has done. We are talking about people who are living on their way to hell and death to people who are living a life that is an abundant life. It is a total and complete transformation. And I bring this story to a state talking about practicing our story because this is the reality Of what people need today if you look around our world it's a mess people need transformation but like i said evangelism and and sharing our stories it can be a really difficult thing because what if you're like me and you're introverted what am i supposed to do just walk up to a stranger and be like have you heard about my lord and savior jesus christ no (laughs) that feels weird it reminds me of, you know, growing up, my dad, whenever he had the remote, it was the worst, because it just meant that we were going to be watching fishing or golf or hunting on TV. That's, this is part of my fish stories in our series that we're doing right now. Whenever my dad had the remote, even if he would fall asleep, he'd be snoring. I'd try to take the remote from him, because I'm sick of watching fishing shows. Fishing is great, and I love it, but not on TV. And I would try to take the remote. He would instantly wake up, and I'm like, oh, how did you know? <laughs> but... One of the most interesting fishing shows we ever watched was Deadliest Catch. For all the boring fishing shows, then there's Deadliest Catch, which is wild. There's these guys who get on these Alaskan fishing boats, and they head out to the Bering Sea, and there's waves that are coming over the sides of the boats. It's like negative 10 degrees outside. These guys are trying to catch all these fish. I'm like, who would do this? Like, This is some wild people that, that are going to go out and spend their life risking their lives to do this, And it's by their choice. That's some crazy things. But as I watch this show, I'm thinking like, this is wild. Who in the world would choose to do this? But I think oftentimes we think of evangelism the same way. Who would choose to do that? <laughs> Who would choose to walk up to strangers and share their faith? Who would choose to, you know what, I'm not just going to be the, you know, a neighbor next door who's super quiet in my neighborhood. You know what, actually I'm going to go outside and I'm going to spend time outside so I can get to know my neighbors. I can invite them over for dinner and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to look for an opportunity to tell my neighbors about Jesus. I'm gonna once a month, I'm gonna have people over to my house, I'm gonna have dinner once a month for my neighborhood. And my whole purpose is to, to build a relationship so I can tell them about Jesus, invite them to church, hopefully see their life transformed. That seems like a wild idea. That seems like a very uncomfortable idea. But what was Jesus's method of evangelism? It wasn't getting a bullhorn, it wasn't getting a bell, it wasn't putting a sign over his shirt that says, repent, the end is near. It was hospitality and love. Hospitality and love. This is the key to the method of evangelism that Jesus had. And so I think it's crucial that we understand not only what what evangelism is, but what it isn't. I remember when I was in middle school, walking in downtown Minneapolis on a field trip, and this random guy hands me a piece of paper, which was actually I thought was a $100 bill. (laughs) And on the back of it, it said, you know what's more important than money? Jesus. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> like, I thought I was getting $100, now I'm being lied to. <laughs> like, this, but that was this guy's version of evangelism. And then he kind of disappeared into the crowd. I'm like, you're going to talk to me about this? Like, I'm a Christian already, but if this is what we're doing to evangelize people, we're just giving them pieces of paper and then walking away. That, there might be a time and place for that. But time and time again, we see in the life of Jesus He goes with the relational equity. He actually loves the people. What did Jesus say? I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was willing to risk his reputation to go be the guest of a sinner. While all the religious leaders were like, oh, he's got to be the guest of a sinner. Why would Jesus do this? What kind of guy is this? He's hanging out with the the terrible people in the society. Jesus was willing to risk his reputation Because he loved people. And so the question I want to bring forward to us today is, are we willing to do the same thing? Because let's be honest, part of what what makes evangelism so difficult is that we don't want to be seen as the weird people. We don't want to be seen as, oh, oh, like, that's my one neighbor. Like, he's kind of crazy. He's a Christian. Like, we try to stay away from that house. We we try to avoid being the weird guy or being the weird girl because we feel like our, our Christian faith makes us different. Here's the reality. You are weird, okay? (laughs) Let's just be comfortable. I'm weird. The fact that I believe in God is not normal in society. The fact that I'm following Jesus is not normal in our secular society. The fact that you are too, that's not normal in society. But honestly, what our society needs is more not normal people because if you look at the direction our world is going and our county is going and the way that there's the world is just messy what it needs is people who are confident in their weirdness confident in their faith confident in the reality that yes we do believe in Jesus we do believe he is the savior we do believe he is the messiah and we do believe he can transform your life that's what we do believe so i think myself i'm i'm preaching to myself right now we need to get over the fact that we feel weird about the fact that we go to church and that we're Christians and that our neighbors might look at us differently. Yeah, they might. But do we really believe what Jesus can do in their life? And I hope so because we know what Jesus has done in our lives. And this as I bring up, you know, talking about the world, I I was reading about Friedrich Nietzsche last week for my seminary course, and Friedrich Nietzsche was an atheist philosopher from the 1800s. And he He wrote this parable called the parable of the madman. And I'm not going to get into the full parable because I don't have time to do that, but if you'd like to to read it, it's actually really good. So you can Google it afterwards. But what he's talking about in the parable is there's this guy who walks into a a city center, like the the, uh, square where everybody's hanging out, and he walks in with a lantern, and he's called the madman. Because he walks in with a lantern, holds it up by his face, and it's at night, so it's kind of creepy looking. And he's like, he starts yelling to everybody, we've killed God, we've killed God, the world has gone mad, we have killed God, and it's our fault. And he's an atheist, so he, he agrees with the conclusion that we should kill God, and not that we can, but really what he's saying is we should become more secular and move away from the idea that God exists. But what he was talking about in the parable was that when we kill God, when we move away from God, what we're really losing is not just God himself, but we are losing the moral foundation of our world. And it's crazy because even as an atheist philosopher, he recognized that, you know what, he doesn't believe in God, but at the same time, there is value in believing in God. And here's what he means by that. If you're you're a Christian, you get your moral framework. Like we know abortion is wrong. We know murder is wrong. We know stealing is wrong. Why do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that this is God's character. He tells us to love people, not murder them. So that's an easy thing to do, right? If you're an atheist, you can believe, oh yeah, we do. We should love people. We shouldn't murder people. But on what foundation? On what basis? If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in the Bible, how can you say what is right and what is wrong? Essentially, what we have today is this mess. We have a bunch of people declaring, well, this is my truth. You know, you do you, you believe what you wanna do. I'll believe what I wanna believe. This is my truth. You can believe in your truth. But when you have a bunch of truths and they're all colliding, that's when you have a big mess, which our world is currently in. And Nietzsche saw this. Even as an atheist, he's like, man, I see the value of believing in a God because there's actually a moral foundation that we can have for our lives. But as our world, and not just our global world, but here in America and even here in Isandy County, right here in Cambridge, as it moves more and more secular, what are we seeing as a result of that? Not only are we seeing the my truth movement, but we are seeing we're seeing abortions, we're seeing murder, we're seeing sexual abuse, we're seeing terrible sins done towards one another. And I think that this is something that we need to be concerned about. Because if we believe that we have the answer of transformation, then we have to understand that we actually have something to offer to a broken world. This is why Jesus met Zacchaeus with hospitality and with love, even though he was such a sinner with a terrible reputation. Because Jesus recognized he had the power as the Son of God to totally and completely transform the life of Zacchaeus. I want you to understand today what you can do by sharing what God has done in your life. I want you to understand what you can do, what you can actually do, what you can actually see happen if you start making an effort to reach your neighbors for Jesus, to reach your coworkers for Jesus, to maybe even reach your kids for Jesus. You can see total and complete transformation because there is actual value in believing and in following Jesus. And not even that it just makes us good and moral people, but what it does is it totally takes us from dead to alive, from sinners to saved. And when we see this reality played out in our lives, we can actually see the power of God and what he can do in our world. And so I want to encourage us as we talk about evangelism and sharing our faith. The world needs Christians to do it. Not that they know that, not that they would ever admit that, but our world needs more Jesus. And instead of just diving in and becoming just as angry as the world, just as political as the world, just as everything else, if Christians just go the way of the world, instead of recognizing that, no, we're weird and we are different, but if we just go with the world, we're not going to do this. We're going to become known for our politics. We're going to become known for what we're against. We're going to become known for all these things that aren't related to Jesus. But if we start recognizing, you know what? As a Christian, it does make me different. And when people come into my life, when they come into New Hope Community Church and we meet together as a church, if they're a non-Christian, they should come in and they should be like, wow, this is a place of peace and salvation. There is something different about the people of New Hope. When people come into your life, whether they're having lunch with you at work or whether they're your neighbor and they come up and have a conversation with you, they should be stepping into the life of a peacemaker. Not someone who's angry and divisive or bitter, but they should be stepping into the life of a peacemaker because what did Jesus come to bring? Salvation and peace to sinful people. That is the gift of Jesus. And so as we close this morning and as we close our series, I want to challenge and encourage us that we not only need to be praying for the people that we need to share our story with, I think we need, to share, we need to pray for ourselves to make sure that we have a heart for people like Jesus had a heart for people. Because here's the reality, sharing your faith, practicing your story, there's gonna become a lot of spiritual warfare in your life. You're gonna think of every reason in the world not to talk about Jesus. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to. And let's be honest, you probably don't want to sometimes. But we're going to think of every excuse in the book not to do this. And so I think the first step that we need to take is we need to pray for ourselves. Say, Jesus, get rid of all my pride. Get rid of all my anxiety. Get rid of all the barriers that are going to keep me from sharing Jesus. Help me see the importance. When I look at people at Walmart, help me see love for broken people. When I see people at work, help me see love for these broken people. Because we need this too. But then our next step in which you got on your way in here today is to be praying for people. There's a little prayer card that you got with your bulletin. I want you to take that card out and I want you to write names on that card. These are going to be people who you're praying for, whether it's a son, a daughter, a coworker, your boss, whoever, your boss definitely needs Jesus, right? (laughs) Whoever it is, we need to be writing these names down and praying for them and not just praying, God, I hope these people come to you. I hope they come to church. I hope they, they come to know you. But how are they going to come to know Jesus? Not only by your prayers, but by your doing. So don't just pray for the people, pray for opportunity to share Jesus with those people. And this is a dangerous prayer because it's going to work. (laughs) If you start praying for opportunities to share Jesus with people, God is going to open your eyes because there are so many opportunities out there. I've shared this story before, but I, I was so convicted by one of Pastor Bill's messages a couple of years ago, I, I pulled into Walmart and I was like, you know what, I'm not in a rush. And so I sat on my steering wheel for a little bit and I was like, God, give me an opportunity to talk about you to somebody at Walmart. And that's a scary prayer as an introvert. And sure enough, there's George at the checkout lanes and he just looked like there was something going on. I was like, George, I, I talked to him a couple times. I was like, George, how are you doing? He's like, oh, just rough, right? So we started praying, and he's a Christian, but we started praying for his family and for his wife, and I was just like, you know what, God? He wasn't an unbeliever, but that's exactly what he needed, and that's exactly what I needed, to recognize that prayer actually works. And here's the uncomfortable reality about this. This isn't just for the pastors, the staff members of churches, It's not just for the super-Christians. Evangelism and sharing your story of how you met God, it's for everybody. It's for every single one of us. Literally every single believer has been commissioned by Jesus to share our stories. What did Jesus say? What were some of his last words before he ascended to heaven after his resurrection? He said, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So our first step is to pray for ourselves, that we'll actually do this. Our second step is to pray for the people that we know actually need Jesus. The last step, which I'm not going to explain at all because it's so straightforward, go and do. Practice your story. That's our call. And to illustrate this and how how simple this can be. We have a life story today from Jill Stavos. And Jill was in our uh, hope group a few years ago and it was it was amazing to see what God has done and you're going to hear this in a minute. I don't need to explain it to you right now, but it's just amazing to see what God has done in the life of Jill. So let's watch together. <music>
1: New Hope. My name is Jill, and this is my Jesus story. Life with Jesus started from when I was a kid. I uh, accepted Christ into my heart when I was seven at vacation Bible school. Um, When I was in my 20s, I can't say I was so perfect. (laughs) And I would read my Bible once in a while and pray a little bit, but I knew I had to do more. And then we moved to Cambridge five or six years ago. My sister attends here. And so she said, hey, you should come to New Hope. And I had visited a couple of times. And so I was like, well, yeah, I kind of was thinking I would come to New Hope. <laughs> it was a normal day. My husband and I had gone to work. And we got I got home at 5. And my manager had asked me to um Tend to some emails during the evening. She wanted me to work for a couple hours that night. But we, had a, we have a large garden. I told my husband, I'm just gonna go out to the garden for a little while and then I'm gonna stay up later and work. And so I went out to the garden and one of our dogs went back up to the house and my husband was like, well that's kind of weird, she should be coming. So he came out to the garden and he found me laying on the ground flailing one of my arms in the dirt, and um, he didn't know what happened. He had no idea. We thought I was perfectly healthy. Um, And so he had to call 911. They said I had um, an aneurysm in the artery that feeds my brain that ruptured. And the first week, my family was told I wasn't gonna make it. The second week, um, they said the outlook was better, but I would probably have to be in an institution the rest of my life. And my daughter and my husband actually went to look at a facility. And then the third week, I started waking up. I was just like, okay, God, now what? <laughs> and I begged for healing every night. I knew I wasn't alone. I knew other people were praying for me too. And um, so many people came around my family. My sisters set up a garden party and people came out and helped tend our garden. They picked apples off our apple trees and I was so glad people got to use the produce. So it was a huge support. Um, And I think just even the prayers and everything was a way to support my family. Through therapy, um, I was able to walk again. And um, I'm pretty much back to normal but I do have um, muscle spasticity in my feet so my muscles in my feet are constantly contracting but otherwise yeah I'm pretty much back to normal (laughs) I learned how amazing God made our brains the healing that I went through was incredible. There was another doctor in the room, too, that had been through my surgery, that was there when I, they did my surgery. And uh, they were both amazed at how well I had healed and what I, my abilities. Before I went home, I had to go through transitional care. I was sitting in a bed, and they said, OK, push down on the gas, and I just want you to flex your foot down. And I had not been able to do that with my left foot, and I did it. I was just like, "Wow!" I couldn't believe it, and you know, I think that's totally God. (laughs) One of the things that God did through all this was my husband had become um, a habitual drinker. He'd come home every night and drink. He um, stopped drinking about a month after all of this had happened, and he started coming to church with me, something he hadn't been doing. I've seen him be more generous and caring. Um, We're also having more fun. It's like we're dating again, (laughs) we're in our 20s because we do a lot of laughing now. So New Hope, you never know what's gonna happen in life. But with Jesus, you know you can get through it and good things can come out of it. This is my Jesus story.